If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. I feel so fortunate to have none other than Tony Myers as our guest today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. I have been a fan of Tony's and his work for many years. And last June, I finally met him in person at the Western Canada Fundraising Conference where we were both speaking. And I have to tell you, he's even more amazing than I expected. He's so smart. He's so very kind and an absolute delight. Tony is passionate about philanthropy, leadership, and major gift fundraising. His approach in all that he does is to listen first, to deeply understand, identify the challenges, and then find a way to work together to meet the challenges head on. Based in Western Canada, he's a consultant, a strategist, an author, speaker, teacher, mentor, and an executive coach. He has a lifetime of experience working with leaders on six continents, working with small and large nonprofits. And as an international consultant, he has or is working in Southeast Asia, South America, Africa, and Europe, Central and Eastern Europe in particular, speaking, training, consulting, and fundraising, often alongside our mutual friend, the incredible Kay Sprinkle Grace. Tony brings a passion and energy, experience, and a deep knowledge to his work, and he's the first to tell you that he loves his job. He says he doesn't really work. He just gets up every morning and goes to joy. Tony, welcome to the show. Tammy, thank you so much, and I'm really, really excited to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So awesome. thank you for, for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, for sure. Now, Tony... Some people seek the profession of fundraising while others say they fall into it. Tell us how you came to the profession and when you knew you had found your joy. It's a great question, Tammy. I was working at a very large university here in Canada, and for the first time, this university was going to embark on a multi-hundred million dollar campaign. 
And, and I was doing the communication for this campaign and I thought, well, good, good. We're going to do the communication for the campaign, which I did and working with an incredible team. And, and as we got into the campaign, I thought, I'm doing all the communications. Why am I not doing the fundraising? So I talked to the head of fundraising at the time and I said, you know what? I think I could do this. Give me some prospects. And so I got a list of prospects that I got to choose. And I thought, I really like this. I mean, this is, this is fun. And so I, uh, I, I started fundraising and talking to people and raising money and said, why don't I do this full time? <laughs> so then I, I said, I want to do this full time. So I left my job as, as, as head of communications for this university. It was a large university. It's a $1.2 billion a year budget and almost 40,000 students. And I thought, no, I'm going to leave communications and do fundraising on a full-time basis. And Tammy, I realized that the only difference between communications and fundraising is, is that fundraising is communications with an outcome. Mm. And I took to it like a duck in water and I've never looked back. It's one of the best decisions I ever made. That's beautiful. I just have to ask, do you remember your very first ask? And can you just tell us about it? Or maybe your favorite ask. I don't remember my very first ask, but you know what's interesting is I remember the feeling mm. I had. And I was scared to death. Before going into fundraising, I was a journalist. And I remember the very first time I stood in front of the camera and I felt as if I was naked in Times Square. <laughs> and I think I had the same kind of feeling my first ask. Not that I was naked in Times Square. But it was that kind of fear where you're going to be totally exposed. And it was scary. It was, it was scary. And then if I could continue on that, because it was my first year of fundraising, my mandated goal was a million dollars in the first year. And I remember I was six months into it, Tammy, and I finally realized that, oh my God, how am I going to do that? And for the first six months, I walked around and my shoulders were bent over, my head down, and the weight of responsibility was absolutely unbelievable. And then I realized something. I realized... I had no power to get anybody else to say yes. The only power I had was to represent my organization in the most positive light I possibly could. And as soon as I realized I had no power to get anybody to say yes, I only had the power and ability to work, be disciplined, and to invite people to participate. I took the weight off my shoulders and I was able to stand tall and enjoy what I was doing. It wasn't up to me. It was up to me to do the work. And if I did the work, the money would follow. Yeah. And it was a wonderful, magical moment to release myself from that burden and to realize that I could just enjoy it. And I have ever since. That is such a powerful insight and lesson for anyone who has that weight, who feels that pressure. You know, that asking is nothing more than extending an invitation. Yes, so much so. So much so. And I think that the other thing that goes along with that, and you will know this as well or better than I do, Tammy, that it's not only about extending an invitation, but it's an ability to have those conversations that give you an opportunity to engage in conversation that allows both parties to share values, the things that are important, to make a connection on a values front. So many people, when, again, you know this, Tammy, as young fundraisers, we think we've got to get the money. We've got to get the money. And unfortunately, we treat our donors like wallets, yeah. like money bags. 
and they're just human beings with values. And if we can treat them like people and friends and have great conversations, we can find out their values. And if we can make the connection between ourselves and them and the organization and connect those values, it's about a values connection, not a money connection. It's about a values connection. And when we can connect those values, we're able to then make magic things happen. It's so funny. Magic was exactly the word I was thinking of as you described that, Tony. Yeah, totally agree. And it's the sooner we can learn that and embody that and have that in our hearts and in our mindset, the sooner we will find our joy in this profession. Love totally it. Totally agree. Love it. I mentioned in your intro that you've collaborated quite extensively with our mutual friend, Kay Sprinkle Grace, teaching leadership and philanthropy and fundraising in Eastern Europe. And actually, you two have been doing that for several years now. So tell us about that experience and maybe to even start with what did you set out to accomplish and why? You know, at the beginning, you asked me if in starting fundraising was it an accident or was it, did I trip into it or was it deliberate? And, and Central Eastern Europe is a fantastic example of that. I had an opportunity some years ago to speak for the first time at the International Fundraising Conference in the Netherlands. And what, a, what an incredible opportunity at the time. And while there, there were a number of what you and I would call stars from across the philanthropic world, and they were not the people I hung out with. I hung out with those who were volunteers. I hung out with those who were supported to come to the conference. I hung out with those people who were younger than I was by 20 or 30 years. And I learned from them the challenges that they were having. And many of them were from Central and Eastern Europe. So as a result of that, Tammy, I saw that perhaps I could invite them to Canada, which I did. I invited a group of eight of them to come to Canada and I did a, a study tour for them in Canada. And as a consequence of that, they invited me back to the Czech Republic. And I got an opportunity to speak at a conference in the Czech Republic and to speak at universities there and was hosted actually by the ambassador to Canada. And as a result of that, I met people who were involved in major donor fundraising campaigns for the first time and were having trouble with that. And as a result of that, I was able to work on a major donor fundraising campaign in Prague. And as a result of that, <laughs> as a result of that, we were incredibly successful. It was one of the first major donor campaigns that was conducted in Central and Eastern Europe following the fall of the Berlin Wall. Well, that goes back a couple of years, but it was incredibly successful. And that was supported by an organization that you probably know as the Mott Foundation. At the time, the Mott Foundation was operating in Central and Eastern Europe and supporting sessions and sm smaller community NGOs all across Central and Eastern Europe. And the fellow I worked with, his name was Yishi Barta. He and I had been very fortunate to work together and had been very successful in this first campaign. And Mott wanted Ishi to speak to the other NGOs that they were supporting because Mott wanted others to run major campaigns to build endowments to support philanthropy in the region, all of which former communist countries support philanthropy in the region over the longer term. So he spoke and the first half of the day he presented, the second half of the day he did a Q&A for three hours. Long story short, in the Q&A, every question he was asked, he said, well, as Tony Myers would say, and honest to God, Tammy, I've been in Central and Eastern Europe ever since as a result of that. I was then contacted by NGOs in Serbia, by NGOs in Romania, by NGOs in Slovakia, more NGOs in the Czech Republic. And we started speaking. 
and K and I were then were speaking together in Central and Eastern Europe. And it was K who identified the need for a leadership program. And so we worked together with a group of people in Central and Eastern Europe and developed a leadership program that now has been going on since 2015. And a program that we've now looked at, have, have expanded to a German-speaking program in Germany. We're looking at expanding now in Greece and the Netherlands and indeed in Canada. So it was a journey of intention to make a difference, not a journey to expand the business. It was a journey to help people who are in need and help others to be successful. And again, not a journey to expand the business, but an opportunity to make a difference, which I think we've done. Sure. To expand philanthropy. Exactly. And to realize, Tammy, that there are only three issues, I believe, facing NGOs. Number one issue is sustainability. Number two issue is accountability. And number three issue is leadership. And if we address the leadership issue facing NGOs, not only in Central and Eastern Europe, not only in former communist countries, but in Canada and in the United States, and particularly, I would suggest to you, in the United States. As soon as we start addressing the leadership issue in the NGO sector, we're going to be able to address the other two. And for too long, we've been talking about this and not doing it. And I think Kay and I realized that. And so if we can't start in the United States, let's start in Europe and bring it to the U.S. I think that AFP is finally beginning to address this. We're beginning to address this in Canada. We're beginning to address this in North America. It's a critical issue and we need to create a leadership movement in North America and address this issue in a big way. And timing is of the essence. Timing is of the essence, Tammy, and it's something that I've promised myself I would dedicate the remainder of my career in pursuing. Mm. Well, thank you for doing that. It's desperately needed. And I agree. I think AFP is definitely making some investments and making some big plans to, to move strengthen it forward. our leadership, to move it forward, to attract more people to the profession, to help retain more people in the profession. And the world needs us. Absolutely. Um, and I think the world needs AFP as well. It's had a profound influence in my life and in my learning and my growth as a professional. And I will be forever indebted for all the work it's done. Same, same. So you've been doing this work in Eastern Europe, Central Europe, since 2015. So of all the cohorts that you've had the privilege of working with, that you've led and undoubtedly inspired, what have been some of your proudest moments? You know, Tammy, when you do this work, I think, first of all, I think Kay and I would both agree that it's been life-changing. It's been life-changing for the participants and it's been life-changing for those of us who have taught this program. We've been fortunate enough to graduate 100 plus people from this program from 21 different countries around Central and Eastern Europe. That's a huge, huge, huge accomplishment and something that we're incredibly proud of. But more than anything, we have not changed lives. We have facilitated life-changing experiences for the participants in the program. And those life change experiences have resulted in 30 to 50% of the people who have taken the program to go on to better jobs, to future jobs, and to do new things. One of the graduates of our programs established his own charity and now employs 101 people working with poor folks in Slovakia. Other people who've graduated from the program have gone on to be consultants and are working and bringing philanthropy and development and major donor fundraising to other countries throughout Central and Eastern Europe. Other people who have graduated have left jobs and moved to new organizations and taken on more responsibility. So while 
we could identify a number of individuals who have gone on to, I don't want to say bigger and better things, have gone on to leadership and taken on the responsibility and the banner of leaders and a cloak of leadership in other organizations and in their countries and in their communities and in their regions. That's been the most rewarding thing about this is that it's making a difference to philanthropy. It's making a difference to the growth of civil society. It's making a difference to the growth of democracy in an entire region of the world in a region that was a, a former communist countries. And it's a deeply establishing a spirit of philanthropy and teaching fundraising and development and philanthropy in these countries. I think that's what we're proud of is that we've been able to be facilitators of life-changing experiences for two groups of people, Tammy, young people who aspire to leadership roles and those who are a bit longer in the tooth, who've been at it for 10 or 15 or 20 years have come back. And then to mix together and bring together those two groups, a young group of enthusiastic and energetic people with an older group who are wise or long in the tooth, who have experience. And when you bring those two groups of people together, for a week-long experience, it's magic. It's absolute magic and life-changing. I tell other people who listen to me, Tammy, that 70% of the people who take this program find it life-changing. Another 20%, I think, find it outstanding, and the remaining 5% just weren't there. <laughs> it's a fantastic curriculum, a wonderful program, and something that we're extremely proud of. Something we spent three or four years putting together, by the way. It didn't happen overnight. And Tammy, it's a program that's not a management program. I can't overemphasize that. We don't come in and teach people how to manage other people. We don't come in and teach people how to do a strategic plan. We don't bring people in and show them how to do a fundraising plan. This is a leadership development program where we give people an opportunity to learn more about themselves. We give people an opportunity to learn more about their community and how they serve the community. We get people to learn more about how to lead an organization, not manage, lead an organization, and then how to lead teams. And we only invite them to do two things over a week-long period. One, we ask them to define leadership for themselves so that they can speak about it and speak about it with authority and experience and knowledge and depth. And the second thing we ask people to do in this program is that we invite people to sit down with themselves and look at how they want to develop their own leadership over the coming year. And so we invite them and we give them a framework to work with so we don't throw them to the wolves that we're going to go figure it out. Give them a framework to work with and say, we want you to think about how do you want to develop your leadership over the coming year? In leadership of yourself, leadership of community, organization, team, or profession, and document how you want to do that. And then we lead them up with one of the instructors. They get to choose who they want to work with. And we then provide guidance as a mentor and a coach for a year in helping them realize their goals, their objectives in leadership. And then we bring them back at the end of the year for a leadership summit. They then are responsible not to their instructors, but to each other, to their cohort. And that responsibility to their cohort is realized at the end of the year when we have a leadership summit and they report to each other, not to us, they report to each other on what they learned, how they succeeded, how they failed, and how they want to grow further from there. So 
And do, do I sound like I'm interested in the program? <laughs> I know you're kind of passionate about this. <laughs> I do love it. And it's been life-changing, Tammy. It was life-changing. I, I would argue that Kay would say the same. It's yeah. been life-changing for her. It's been life-changing for all of us who have been involved in it. One person from the U.S., one person from Canada, three people from Central and Eastern Europe, and changing the lives of other people and helping leading them, guiding them to leadership in the NGO sector. Incredible. And we'll never know, but I can't help but think like the work that's been done there in the years leading up to this tragic war on Ukraine and not just the impact on Ukraine, but those surrounding countries, which you've had those leaders in your program, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland, so many of those countries who are now taking in the refugees, who are providing so many much-needed services and comforts and just basic needs to help people survive and recreate their lives and navigate the trauma of war. I'm curious if you have kept in touch with those who are sharing how they've applied what they learned in this space or telling stories about what they're doing now specifically to support and address the current situation and the unfolding aftermath. I mean, it's been almost a year since this war began. Tammy, I have very much so. Just a couple hours ago, I was on a Zoom call with a client in Ukraine, and we were talking about the current state in the country and the fact that the re-engagement by troops, that another force that coming forward from Russia and the re-engagement of Russia in the during the war and increased in the number of air raid sirens that are going off on a daily basis. I'm very much in touch with that and very much involved in that and very much connected with that. It was interesting when you talk about stories, there's one very, very tragic and graphic story I was told by one of my clients there who is incredibly well connected in the country. She runs one of the major NGOs in the country and she recalls getting a call early on in the war from one of her employees who was absolutely in panic and asking for help. Could she make connections with the authorities to help out? And the call came from one of her staff who had heard from neighbors of her parents and their home had been bombed. Her father had been living in the last five to seven days in a house without a roof in the middle of winter. And her mother was lying dead in the backyard mm. and her body had not been collected and she had been decapitated. So horrendous stories that when we hear about them firsthand are shocking and it helps us realize that the devastating, you mentioned trauma of this war and the critical importance of those of us who are involved with NGO sector in the country to continue to work with them and for them and through them to help bring humanitarian aid to help bring, it's such a strange word, peace, to help bring logic or thought or solution to challenges and problems they're facing. Because we're not involved in it directly, we have a sense of normalcy. We have a sense of objectivity we can bring to trauma, a sense of objectivity we can bring to chaos, a sense of hope 
enormously that we are able to live for the most part in our lives in North America. So we can bring some straight thinking during difficult times and try to make a difference. Another thing you see and experience in these kinds of situations, and even I talked about this with my colleague this morning, was she was concerned that there is now a growth and demand for more men to join the army, not only in Russia, but in Ukraine, for God's And there have been incidents in Ukraine that have been similar to those in Russia, where people have been brought from the street to join the army. And her husband may be one of those people who is recruited. And she said admittedly that he would go and that he would go without reservation. But she has a child, it's three or four years old. So you work in the NGO sector, your husband works in the NGO sector, you have a child that you're raising in the midst of a war. And daily, you think about your husband may be called tomorrow to serve. And men can't leave the country. You know that any man over 18 years of age, unless they have special dispensation, cannot leave the country. So all of my colleagues who I'm working with, most of who are women in working NGO sector, have husbands who are subject to recruitment. So how do you concentrate in your work? How do you do this work? How do you continue to, to help others who are in need when you're facing this on a daily basis? Long and short of it, yes, I'm close to it. Yes, I hear the stories. I hear the stories on a weekly basis. And yes, I'm impacted by those stories, but I'm so fortunate, one of those fortunate, because I've been to the country, because I've worked in the country, because I've been there, and I'm able to hopefully bring some objectivity and some serenity, that's the word, serenity to dialogue and conversation and problem solving. But it's a challenging situation, without a doubt. At the core of surviving or getting through the situation, I firmly believe that it's leadership, it's philanthropy, like love of mankind, right? Caring about your friends and neighbors and those you don't even know about, and a whole lot of faith. And not to the extent that you have. I have been to Ukraine on a couple, two occasions, and Poland. And the thing that struck me when like many, many years prior to this war, the thing that struck me was they had such a national pride. Mm, absolutely. A huge national pride. You have two countries where that absolutely exists. A huge national pride in Poland. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be there several times to speak at the national conference in Poland. And without a doubt in Ukraine, it is the thing that is holding them together as a country right now. Yeah. And they have experienced phenomenal leadership from their president and, and it's leadership in every respect in the organization, including the NGO sector and leadership by those who are struggling to continue to lead amidst extremely difficult times. Another colleague I talked to not too long ago, I said, well, how's it going? And she said, my house was bombed last week and there's nothing left. So Tammy, think about it. Think about it. You go to work. Your house is bombed. You have no home to go to. You need to leave and go somewhere else. The street in which you lived on and was brought up on and her family was brought up on is gone. The street is gone. And so you need to gather yourself and then try to focus on the work you're doing and the work you need to do to lead an organization or the work you need to do to raise money amidst a war 
where so much money is going to the army, so much money is going to the areas of need that may not be the same as your areas of need. Yeah. Yeah. It really it, it, is hard to fathom. I don't want to go too deep. Down. <laughs> yeah. I don't want us to go down a black hole here, but I, it's been a profound experience for me as a person working with those in the country. Clearly, clearly. Let's kind of talk about a bit ago, you said definitely that it's been heart-driven, purpose-driven work that you and Kay have done in Central and Eastern Europe, and that you've seen that in North America, we desperately need this leadership too. We very distinctly need to go through a similar process, like the framework you've created, you are now bringing back to Canada and the U.S., so I would love to talk about what are the critical components of the framework and if the work that you're doing to implement it in North America, like what kind of adjustments need to be made, if any, for it to really take hold here? Great question, Tammy, and a very holistic one, and one of which I think there really are many answers to. Two things come to my mind. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. First Tee of Greater Accra needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Here's Executive Director Josh Smith sharing what he likes about Bloomerang. We love Bloomerang because it's so, like, it's very user-friendly. We're able to do more because our daily tasks of thanking donors and sending thank you notes have been cut more than half because of Bloomerang. Year over year, we have raised more funds. So obviously, I think Bloomerang's been a, a huge part of that. By investing in a donor management system that they actually love using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. First is that we need to see leadership in ourselves. And that's not for me to become a leader of an organization. That's not for me to become the CEO or executive director of an organization. I need to become a responsible leader in my own life. And so I need to grow in myself and become a responsible leader in my own life. And I need to see that as part of leadership, which uh, to be honest with you, I did not see before I started to be involved and engaged in this program. I did not see it to the extent I see it today. So that's the first thing I think we need to see as part of this movement. And the second thing we need to see in North America and North American society, that it is about we and about us and not about me and about I. And that sounds perhaps overly simplified. And I don't want it to be overly simplified. But there are basic cultural approaches to societies. One that is based on independence, on freedom. And both of them are important and both of them are good. And another approach to society is one based on collectivism, that we need to accomplish this together. And I think we have sacrificed somewhat me in place of we. 
and again, that sounds simplistic, Tammy, and I don't mean it to sound simplistic, but it's a basic attitude about how we approach our work together for us and our community. And I think that there are some of the values and the attitudes that we try to give our participants in this program an opportunity to explore, because I think you would agree that it is we who will succeed. It is we working together that will build community and that together we can build communities of communities and strive to create a better world for all. Tammy, if that's not what philanthropy is about, I'm not sure what it's about. And it sounds, and forgive me if it's, this sounds too philosophical, but it is part of that movement. And we only change the world, Tammy, as you well know, we only change the world through one philanthropic act at a time, through one act of kindness at a time, through one person at a time. I long ago thought that I would be able to do something great in this world <laughs> and to make a huge difference. And at one point, at some point along the way, I realized that I'm not going to be able to. The only thing I can do is to try to change the world one act of kindness at a time by working with one person at a time, by working with one organization at a time, by trying to solve one problem at a time and bring solutions to, with my background and experience in education at a time. And so that, that's what I try to do. And while I continue to have these grandiose dreams of bringing a society of leaders together and particularly in the NGO sector. The way we're doing that and the way both Kay and I are working and doing that is just at being able to work one program at a time and in the program to work with one individual at a time. And at the end of the program, we're afforded the opportunity to coach and to mentor. And we coach and mentor just one person at a time, one hour at a time. And so if we can continue to dedicate ourselves to that kind of work, then we will begin to plant a seed of leadership and a seed of leadership in the context of philanthropy and, and just do it one person at a time. And I think that's all we can do. Yeah. But you know, Tony, it does obviously speaks to community and collectivism. Yes. Um, and when we think about the impact that we can have in our lifetime. It truly is the ripple effect. So I would say that you have already succeeded in that aspiration. I think that we've already maybe planted a seed or planted a number of seeds that we hope can, we can grow. And we're desperately hoping that we can grow those. And we want to continue to plant those seeds as long as we're able to continue to work. And while I, I would never wish to speak for Kate, I think that both of us are of a certain age where that's the most important work that we need to do as we move forward. Yeah. And I think we both share that. It reminds me, you maybe have heard the story of the three deaths. Have you heard that story? No, tell me, tell me, tell me. So the, the premise is that you die three deaths. The first death is when your body ceases to function. Mm. The second death is when your body is consigned to a grave. And the third death is that moment sometime in the future when your name is spoken for the last time. And I would suggest that those who devote their life to creating community, to doing those good deeds, those good things, one at a time, one right after the other, that their name will continue to be spoken long after their body has ceased 
to live and that they've been consecrated to the ground. I really liked that story. Aren't we being philosophical today? We are. <laughs> My goodness. I don't even have any wine with me. <laughs> and what I really liked to that story, actually, Tammy, I have no need, as I'm sure you don't, to have my name spoken. My greatest need is to have my acts to have impact and for that impact to continue long after I'm gone and to move from generation to generation. As both of us work in the area of philanthropy, we hope to continue philanthropy and have philanthropy succeed in its influence on society. Because it's one of the things I say is, and you've heard this before too, that fundraising is a skill, which we practice. And development in my language is the discipline that we use to practice the skill. And philanthropy is the philosophy. And I think we spend a lot of time in our profession helping younger people develop the skill and then helping younger people then see the skill within the realm of discipline and development. And we don't spend enough time in philanthropy and working in the realm of philanthropy. I remember there's a lot of talk in North America about a pending recession and about difficult economic times. We're going through the challenge of post-pandemic recovery. We're going through global challenges, which include the war in Ukraine. And so how do we fundraise in that environment? And if we're only thinking of fundraising as collecting dollars to put in our kitty to move it forward, then we're going to have trouble raising money. If we only think of it as running the right process. And I would argue we continue to have difficulty. It might be a little better because we're running a process and not doing it willy-nilly. But if we think about philanthropy, there always is enough love to go around. And again, I go back to the point that it's not about the money. It's about the values. Where do we find and are we able to share our values with those that we're working with and have conversations about values? I had a conversation earlier today of about something similar, and maybe that's why I'm leaning in this direction, but we're talking about the challenge we have as young people in learning how to raise money. And the challenge we have as young people, particularly in major donor fundraising, is learning the discipline about major donor fundraising capital campaigns. And how we have trouble as young people having conversations of meaning. I think for two reasons. One is we don't have conversations anymore. We just click and send. And the second thing, we're too interested in furthering our own ideas as opposed to listening to the ideas of others, to have others believe what we believe rather than try to understand what others believe or what others think. It is the skill of conversation and connection where we need to take leadership and fundraising to the future. And that's why I get up every morning and go to joy. I love it. I love it. So. Let's do talk about what some are calling a generosity crisis. Mm. The most recent AFP Fundraising Effectiveness Project report, which was published through Q3 of 2022, reveals that while contributions, like the amount of money being given, continues to increase year over year, the number of donors giving has been getting smaller for seven consecutive quarters. So... I'm curious, as a strategist, as a student, and an expert in philanthropy, what say you about this trend? And more importantly, what advice would you give our listeners in terms of assessing what's going on in their own shops and responding powerfully to the trend? What a great question, Tammy. 
And I too have read the report and I've seen that and it's a very disturbing trend. What would I say? What would I do? Wish that I had a magic wand that could change that. I think we both do. I think it goes back to what we just were talking about a moment ago about the need to increase the concept of conversation and community. And I think we've lost that. The internet was supposed to be the great leveler and unfortunately has become the great divide. Social media was supposed to be the great leveler. And I think again, unfortunately, it has become the technology of the great divide. And perhaps the question is, I don't know if you can reverse that trend, but how do we then re-engage with community, re-engage with our neighbors, go back to having that street party that gave us an opportunity to meet each other? How do we walk down the hallway in our apartment building and look at somebody in the eye and just say hello? Just say hello. This has been a developing trend in both liquor store and 24-7 operations. It's an amazing trend, and I don't know if you've noticed it. But when you walk into a liquor store now, or when you walk into a 24-7 corner store, what's the first thing they do? They greet you. They verbally say, hi, how are you? They greet you. Yeah. They greet you. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about this practice. And the practice is based on the premise that if later you have a challenge and you need to confront this individual, you've already made a connection a simple connection of greeting. So why don't we greet each other? Tammy, it's not more complicated than greeting each other. And if we greet and then we meet, then we talk. Maybe it's a pandemic. The pandemic has been more than seven quarters where we were all isolated. We were all put into isolation, either voluntarily or mandatorily put into isolation. And we were separated from each other. And yes, technology gave us a chance to meet and we all developed a Zoom culture in our businesses. But I, I, again, I think we were separated. So it goes back to something as simple as greeting mm. and, then, and then talking. Yeah. And I know that's not a holistic for increasing the number of donors in my organization, but it's a start for all of us in all environments to do something as simple as that. I oh. have not sat down and figure out an answer to that question, but... As you asked me, that was my first reaction. Yeah. I do think we have lost that human connection, the intention of it, right? Even when I hug someone, I will oftentimes will realize I didn't look them in the eye as we pulled apart. Just those little things, like I'm not present sometimes. And I love the book. Priya Parker wrote the lovely book called The Art of Gathering. And she talks about how even if it's Sunday brunch, I always host my kids and my grandkids for Sunday brunch. And it inspired me to pose a question each time. Not like, how are you? What's coming up? Is this a normal work week for you? Like those checkbox, polite kinds of, like, these are people I love. I should be having deeper conversations or more interesting really investing in them and understanding what's going on in their world. And collectively, how can we as a family support what they are up to? And the same is true with our donors. Again, going back to your point about we treat them often like a cash machine. Mm -hmm. Instead of these incredible people who share our values, 
who want to make a difference in our community. Well, Tammy, we both do training. And one of the exercises that I love to pick up on this theme is I do a session and I ask everybody in the session, you can't do this in a room of 50, 100 or 200, but you can do it in a smaller room when you're talking major donor fundraising or capital campaigns. And what I do is I ask people to get out their wallet and put it on the table. So everybody gets their wallet out and puts it on the table. And then I walk around with the garbage can and I get everybody's wallet and put it in the garbage can. And then I take with an associate and I take the garbage can, and I put it outside the door. And then I say, what are you thinking? <laughs> How does it feel? And you can imagine the feeling. Somebody is taking your wallet. They put it in the garbage can. They've taken it out of the room and put it outside the door. And you feel apprehensive. You want to know where your wallet is. You feel like you've been taken advantage of because somebody tricked you. They put your wallet in the garbage can, took it out the door. You didn't know they were going to do that. You feel like you've been somewhat abused. You feel anxious. Yeah. That's what we do to donors when we want to get their cash. Rather than sitting down and doing exactly what you said you do with your family. What you do with your family is you ask them enticing questions. You sit down on a Sunday or a Saturday weekend and at lunch or at dinner, and you propose a, a provocative question. And you want to dig deeper and to understand them. Tammy, I did a piece of research. When I graduated from St. Mary's University of Minnesota, I did my master's in philanthropy and development. What a program that was. And it just, for me, life-changing again. And one of the things I did following that is did a piece of research and I interviewed 22 to 25 different people, major donors and high net worth individuals. I asked them questions with regard to three topics. Topic number one was about giving, not giving money. No, no, no. I, I asked them about what's the most important gift you ever gave? How did it feel to give that gift? When you gave that gift, what was the reaction to the recipient? I had a list of questions I had with regard to giving. Second, I had a list of questions with regard to volunteering. I wanted to ask them about volunteering. I said, have you ever volunteered? Oh, where have you volunteered? What did you do when you volunteered? And what made you do that? People, unless they're voluntold, they only volunteer consistent with their values. So when you talk to people about volunteering, you go to the heart of their values. And the third topic we explored was the, the, the art of receiving. Tell me one of the more important gifts you've ever received and tell me about that experience. And people talk about the power of giving and the power of receiving. And when we understand the power of giving, power of receiving, the power of volunteering, we understand their values. And when we understand those three things, we can connect values, our personal values, our organization values with their values. And major donor fundraising is all about value connection. And you can't have that conversation with everybody. I know that. You can't walk in and say, well, Tammy, nice to meet you. And tell me about the best gift you ever had. I know you can't do that, but they are conversations you can have that help you understand that are meaningful conversations. And I would invite you to take those questions to your family table, dinner table or lunch table. But when you ask those three questions, Tammy, you go to the heart of somebody's philanthropy. Yeah. And the next steps are just easy. Yeah. It is important to have those greater conversations, those conversations of meaning, conversations that help you go deeper into people's psyche, into their heart, into their soul, and help them for you together explore the world of the known and the world of the unknown and help to get to know each other, get to know self, and to make a stronger connection. And when you have those conversations with other people, you make the connection. We know that, that fundraising is all about relationship. But you ask people, what is relationship made up of? Define relationship for them. I remember hearing a guy speak about once. He did an hour and a half about relationship and he couldn't define it. 
but he talked about it for now. And I went up to him after and said, well, what's your definition? So for me, the definition of a relationship is risk plus trust plus self-disclosure. And when you translate that into an office environment or open environment, relationship is risk plus trust plus openness or transparency. But what's interesting is people only give if they're willing to take a risk on you or your organization in which they trust and in which you and they have been able to be open. Now, what's really interesting is that people will not give to your organization unless they trust. Well, what is trust? Trust is relationship, risk, and openness. <laughs> so we want to create trust. How do we create trust that fosters a willingness? So it's, it's all about relationship because in that context, we have trust and risk and openness. And it's just fascinating it for me. Is. I agree. And I'm just relating that to the work I've done, stewarding relationships with major gift donors, where we have that and we have cultivated and built that relationship, where we have those deeper conversations about values and impact and what is meaningful. Those are the people that always take my call who always invite me into their home or respond. And I know a lot of development folks struggle, like, oh, they won't call me back or I can't get a visit with them. And while some folks just don't want a relationship, I would say that if we can apply what you have just shared with us, a great number of them will want to spend time with us. And they will see us as a partner in helping them do things in the community with causes that they care about. The hardest things for us and our colleagues is to realize that if we want their money, they know we want their money. If we want the relationship, they will know we want the relationship and the money will follow. That's so hard to learn. It's so hard to get to that mindset that we have to want the relationship. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't, forgive me, if we don't like the donor, then we want to have that relationship between the donor and the institution we represent. So we have to want the relationship. And if we do, the donor will know that and the money will follow. Yeah. Just to come full circle, it just reminds me that moment that you as a young fundraiser early in your career, the moment that you understood that asking for money was just an invitation and you suddenly could stand a little taller, feel the weight on your shoulders released, it's very similar, right? It's about relationships and helping connect charitable folks, giving people who care about community to this incredible cause where there is an exchange of shared values. You're right. It really is that simple. And you've summed it up perfectly. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about joy. Mm -hmm. We have a shortage of fundraising professionals. We've all read the Chronicle of Philanthropy. We've read the studies that many people have left the profession or are planning to leave. And I know I have clients struggling to fill open positions. And many of those same fundraisers, my clients included, 
they're still working, giving it their all, but they're frustrated and they're exhausted. I had one person who's been a fundraiser for more than 20 years. And last week in tears, she said, Tammy, I would almost rather go work at Target than continue this role where I'm doing my work and filling in for all these vacancies. It's just too much. So it's tough. Tony, give us your wisdom. How do we weather the storm right now and find our own slice of joy? Tell me, it, it probably starts with, and God forgive me for saying this, but first of all, it's about understanding self and are we there for the right reason? Even as I built a consultancy, I'm not in this work to build a business. And some people are, and that's good. And I don't criticize, but I'm here to help others be successful. So it starts with us knowing where we are and where we want to be. That's number one. And if we don't, then we're in the wrong place because we don't know where we want to be. So it starts with knowledge of self. That's number one. Number two is that we need to have conviction of our own beliefs. And so we need to do what is right for us, even if that results in us leaving where we are today. We have to do what's right for us. And I'm the first one to admit that I haven't always done that. But I do now. I do now and I do for a whole bunch of other reasons, but I do now and I can do it now. I need to know why I'm there. I need to know what's right for me. Thirdly, I need to be in an organization where leadership is leading and leading for the right reason. If we are leading an organization, we're going to anticipate the challenges ahead. If we're leading an organization, we're going to know what people in that organization need to be there. If we're leading an organization and we're taking care of sustainability and we're taking care of accountability. If we're leading an organization, those things are going to come to the fore. They're going to be there and they're going to happen. And that includes whether you're a board member, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a head of fundraising, whether you're a head of annual giving, or whether you're a head of one program in the organization. One of the reasons I'm so hot to trot about developing leadership and creating a leadership movement, not only in Canada, but in North America and around the world, and it is because your friend who'd been there for 20 years. Yeah. I've seen too often people suffer because the right leadership was not in place. I've seen too often people who are in leadership organizations who have not come from fundraising, don't understand fundraising, don't understand the challenge of fundraising, only understand the power of the almighty buck. My fondest hope is that if we can build on the values that are core to philanthropy, that are core to our profession as fundraisers, and build on that core and have people in leadership roles in that core, we're going to see far fewer people who are in the position of your friend who's been at it for 20 years. And I'm going to see far fewer people who are leaving because they're overworked or they're not understood or they're not appreciated for the phenomenal work they try to do every day with the right reason in mind. And that doesn't speak to joy. It speaks more to leadership. But if leadership is there, joy will follow because people will be allowed to express themselves fully and experience themselves fully and express themselves in their work fully and be free to do the work they know is right to do. Yeah. Mm, so powerful. Thank you for that. All right. At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions to give just a little extra value to our listeners. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question. What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Oh my God, Tammy. That's just <laughs> best fundraising advice I ever received. The best fundraising advice I ever received is to do it. Do it. Do it. Be Nike. Do it. Take action. Do it. Pick up the phone. Do it. 
the best advice I've ever received is to do it. Perfect. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? The Power of Intention. The Power of Intention was one of the most important books I've ever read in my life. It's a book by Dr. Wayne Dyer, and it talks about the power of intention. And Tammy, every single time in my life where I've made up my mind, I started to do it, and the universe has followed and got in line behind me and supported me every step of the way. Mm. What a great question. It brings those two things together. It brings the action piece together along with the intention. You must have the intention. And the third thing I would say is that the intention has to be right. It can't be selfish. It has to be for the benefit of creating a better world. Mm, very good. What are the three most important traits a successful fundraising professional must possess? Integrity. And integrity, I include honesty and openness. Second is empathy, sitting in another's chair, putting yourself in another's position, and an ability to truly, truly, truly listen to another. That's whether you're raising money or you're guiding other people who are raising money or you're running an organization or you're talking to your kids or your family or your spouse, yeah. is to try to listen deeply. Yes. What's your favorite fundraising tool or application? Conversation. Ah, yes. What's your favorite fundraising conference and why? And boy, is that a loaded question given how many conferences oh. you speak at around the world. My favorite conference, without a doubt, and I've done both ICON and, and God, I've spoken at, at major country conferences, probably 20 or 30. But my favorite conference in the world is the International Fundraising Conference in the Netherlands for two reasons. And that takes nothing away from ICON. Number one, it is because of the size of the conference and the size of the conference is about 900 people. So it's intimate. And the second reason is that this conference draws on people from upwards to 80 countries around the world. So you have a global perspective. It's not a North American perspective. It's not a Canadian perspective. It's not a Puerto Rican perspective. It's not a Argentinian's perfect. It's a global perspective. And we live in a global world and we owe it to ourselves to develop a global perspective about a global world and then think globally, operate locally. Well, how can you think globally if you're not experiencing learning in a global environment on a regular basis? So that's why it's my favorite. Yeah, fantastic. And it's on the North Sea. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's outside Amsterdam and it's in a wonderful, wonderful location. Yeah. Yes, yes. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? Find a mentor. Mm. I think the most important thing I've done as a fundraiser is to mentor. My number one advice as a younger person would be to find a mentor, not necessarily the best fundraiser, but a mentor who is knowledgeable, ethical, empathetic, and kind, who you can share your challenges in confidence and with a high degree of safety. So, so good. Thank you for joining us, Tony. Tammy, thanks for this opportunity. I really, really enjoyed it. In closing, I want to thank you for all the good work you're doing, for bringing people out, encouraging them to have conversation and to share their knowledge with others. And congratulations for your dedication to philanthropy locally, nationally, and globally. Thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. If you want to learn more about this amazing man, Tony Myers, or his work at Myers & Associates, or learn more about any of the resources we've discussed, you'll find links in the show notes. And thank all of you. Please keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now. And now for a final word from our sponsor. 
Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tea of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.